Hey guys, so I know it's been a long time, but it's been, a lot has been going on at the moment and um, we've been like socially distancing, we've been isolating, we've been on lockdown, we've had (laughs) travel restrictions and we've had like movement restrictions in terms of where we can and can't go and then in amongst all of those horrendous things that are already going on, there's just so much more has happened. It. Everyone keeps on saying this, but it feels like an extended version of a Charlie Brooker segment of Black Mirror. Yeah, like, it's like an immersive season. <laughs> I know. Like, the last season was like the, the Bandersnatch one was kind of interactive and this is just full on immersive. Like you're living it. <laughs> literally, literally. Yeah, it literally. It, I just feel like just being like, Charlie, okay, enough. We get it. You and God need to leave us alone so we can <laughs> just kind of go back to normal please <laughs> oh, Charlie, Charlie's not done yet <laughs> I know so I guess like um obviously before we start I just thought it'd be important and no matter when this comes out um just to kind of remember or just mark like the third year anniversary of the Grenfell disaster yeah. and just keep it keeping our minds and remember like all the families that have lost someone um like it was so tragic for the community and just for everyone in London and outside of London um because it was just visually it was really horrific to see mm-hmm. and um the aftermath was really tragic and even now we're still feeling that aftermath and the shock that it caused in the country so I think there's loads of different ways that people can get involved in remembering. Um, so definitely I would advise people to do that. And I think as well, like everybody should take some time to look after themselves because it's it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like the burden is becoming heavier to carry. Yeah. And yeah, it just feels very emotionally draining. What are <laughs> you doing to look after yourself, Leila? Um, honestly, not the most productive things or... I don't know, the most uh, acceptable ways. I've just been sleeping a lot. That's acceptable. I feel like... No. They say, oh, I'll take a warm bath, go on a walk, do some art, listen to music. And I'm just like, mm, I'm just going to sleep my days away. But I feel like, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm emotionally distressed, the first thing that I struggle with is sleep. Oh. And, like whether I sleep too much or I sleep too little but with me the first thing that will go is sleeping so like actually being able to sleep during a time like this and choosing to sleep during a time like this is a good thing because you're, you're still t- I feel like you're still taking yourself away from you're looking after yourself by kind of removing yourself from whatever's making you upset I mean I guess it is but I do feel a guilt that like when it's like 7 p.m and I've been in bed all day I feel a bit guilty like I could have done so much more with my time yeah I don't know yeah I know I get what you mean we have so many other days to do stuff so if you're taking two weeks off to sleep lots it doesn't mean that it's going to stop you from being productive another time yeah and I guess there is a bit of pressure to always feel like you're doing something which you talked about before like using how you know in the beginning of lockdown everyone's like oh if you're not learning a new skill if you're not trying to get a new job if you're not doing this and that then you're wasting your time and I wonder how these people feel now, like seeing everything that's going on. I wonder if they still have that same sentiment. Yeah, I don't know. Because even with me, I've got a dissertation to write and I have been struggling. Like I just don't, I feel like I just cannot focus. Like I can focus on doing other stuff like, I don't know, being a DIY queen. Like I can do that because that's like a physical thing where you don't have to 
think and use words. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like I can't focus. Like in terms of anything to do with writing and having to use like any type of cognition, I just can't do it. I just find yeah. it, I'm just really struggling. It's just so hard. Yeah, it makes sense that you or anybody would be struggling right now. Um, so I hope yeah. you understand that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep on coming back to the fact that we're not just working from home or doing uni work from a place of like normality we're doing it from lockdown which is very different even though the restrictions have been changed over time and we're able to do more now it's still not I just feel like we still don't have the freedom like how we did before because you have to go around with masks you have to do this you have to be two meters away from each other you can't hug people you can't do this like there's still like quite a lot of restrictions on us even with the limited freedom that we have so yeah I keep on reminding myself that's the only thing that's keeping me saying like it's okay it's a pandemic (laughs) (laughs) absolutely mental so obviously we're going to talk about what's happened in america and there was a tragic loss of george floyd who was murdered by police brutality and also brianna taylor who was murdered by police brutality and ahmed abari i think was murdered by and wasn't murdered by police brutality, but that was more to do with like racism and white supremacy. So all of these deaths, and even this morning, Rayshard Brooks has been murdered by police. So there's quite a lot um, that these deaths have kind of centred the kind of reignition of Black Lives Matter, which has always been there and always been a movement that everyone um, who kind of understands discrimination, racism, especially towards black people in America and just worldwide, um have always believed in but I think the last two or three weeks have felt like I feel like I'm in a furnace of fire and there's no way of dampening it it just feels like there's been more fuel added to the fire and for me I kind of think how I've really really struggled with everything because I don't really like um reposting violent images of black people being killed or Mm. even black people fighting I just don't like because for me I find it very triggering and I feel that like we live in under white supremacy we live we live under patriarchal structures but I think that constant visual reminder of the position that you are in the social hierarchy I find it very difficult to process and even when I think that I've protested it just seeing another image starts starts it again so for me like how I felt was, I don't know, do you know the woman from the white woman, Amy Cooper? For me, that's what, so if I start with Ahmed Abari, I was already upset from there. Or even actually before that, let's say what's happened with COVID-19 and kind of the, um, the microscope has been put on the racial inequalities that we have in this country. So for mm-hmm. me, I've, I've, I can, I've been feeling the anger from then. So I've already been angry, but then it's just kind of like, it's, a, it's an anger that has been pacified because I think my work has been quite good. The government have somewhat been okay. People are talking about these things. So I felt okay. Then when I saw what happened to Ahmad Omari, just remind me that case okay, so of black people can't jog without being killed. And it takes us to be re-traumatized so it's us to have the footage to be enraged to be infuriated for people to hear us and yeah. I was like okay cool that that's another thing I'm pissed off about then I think my catalyst was actually the Amy Cooper situation same with me. yeah same for sure yeah that's when I felt that okay I'm I'm over the edge now I'm angry because it wasn't the whole scenario was horrible but I think the thing I was most angry about and I think more about myself is that all of us knew that 
that man could have possibly been in danger. And I think for that to be our starting point of normality of how black people are treated by the police is so sad that we see a clip and we're like, oh, it just, this could have gone completely to the left and police could have turned up and he could have lost his life. Like that's where, that's where the narrative always takes us as a black person losing their life. So that mm-hmm. already had me upset because then I was already like, how could she weaponize her privilege? And it annoyed me because it was a woman and I believe in feminism, but then it reminds me of how some white feminists behave, like you weaponize your privilege that some of you deny that you have, but when you want to activate it, you can activate it and it has deadly consequences. And then when Joy Floyd died, I was like, and this is what everybody was angry about because we knew what the result would be. And it it happened in another state, Minnesota, which is far far away from um, Central Park, which is in New York. It's kind of like the reality is death. And for me, it's like the reality is always death, whether it's by police brutality or by having a long sentence or death to your career death to your to to the prospect of your life it feels like there's always any type of a heavy consequence of some sort yeah Yeah, the consequences are always heavy and yeah so then from then I've just been angry like and I don't I I feel like we've we've kind of been through this before even and the fact that even in our short lifetime like we're only in our like late 20s we've been through this so many times there's been so many deaths within our lifetime and for some reason this time I'm just kind of like enough is enough like I'm just so angry and I feel like there's nothing to stop my anger it it comes out in bursts of like not laughter but crying but I'm just so angry I, I don't think I've ever felt this angry about injustice before and I think how you're feeling reflects the way a lot of people are feeling it's working a lot of people up and and that in itself is something I find quite fascinating in a way because I've I've never seen a response like this from from the world before ever I mean we've had these things happen before with Michael Brown and Trayvon and those were all huge and it woke up a lot of black people and I think it woke up everyone else in the same way these um you know series of events have and I guess it is partially because we, you know, everything else going on as well, us being at home, yes. locked up, people have lost their jobs, some people have no money. Um, yeah. We, you know, we're seeing people dying at higher rates of COVID, you know, black people dying at higher rates, so other people of colour. Like, I can, you know, I think it's just like a pressure cooker and it's just finally hit the limit. And then, again, being at home and seeing all of these things happening on social media, everyone talking about it, it's pretty much anything they have access to in terms of social yes. interaction. So like, it's just such a direct thing that nobody can ignore. And I think that was, yeah, it was just all the perfect combination to create this, this uh, collective rage and desire to change things that we have now. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, like, it's not too, I think a lot of people like, but it's over there. It doesn't happen here. And it's like, well, it does happen here. Like, I, I will be honest and say that. I didn't, I wasn't as aware of like how many people have died in police custody in um, this country. But like when I was going through my whatever, writing my placard to go and protest, even that for me was a very emotional moment because it's like we're, we're kind of screaming these people's names because we want justice for them and we want justice for other people. And we, it's not just us, we want justice for our future generation. But it's like, before they died, they never knew that they would be used as a signet, like a signifier of change. Like, yeah. we, 
there's been so many laws and so many discussions that have revolved around th- their life and their tragic, how they've tragically died. And I, and for me, it's just kind of like, it kind of frustrated me when people were trying to distance it as in like, that's a problem over there. We don't have that problem. But it's like, no, we do. We do have that problem in this country. We've had multiple deaths in police custody um, of black people and black men. And like, even during the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still living through, that we still have these problems in terms of the systemic issues um, of racism. And tragically, the end result is always death. Like, and someone loses their life. And I just kind of feel like, um, like what you said, I feel like I'm somewhat, um, it has been somewhat fascinating to see how angry people were and how, how much of a reaction that is caused um, in everyone's, like every, everybody's kind of feeling the same. And mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you that I do think it is a combination of the situation we're in now has kind of meant that we have nothing else to focus on. And this is our focus. And this is, unless you kind of, um, I don't know, don't watch the news, don't go on social media, but even most mm-hmm. workplaces are talking about, it's not even just work, workplaces, like big corporations are talking about it different brands are talking about it. everyone's come out in solidarity against and obviously we can question why people have done it and what their intentions are but in comparison to all the other deaths that we've seen before and we've been witness to this has this has been the death that's caught everyone's attention and everyone's focused on and like this might be the catalyst where it's like well we can't now we focus on it so much how do we move on without there being a change Exactly, yeah. It's not something we can just turn, you know, trend for a weekend and forget about. Like, it's way too big for that. Yeah, definitely. Because even for me, like, um, it's been it's been a, a journey in times of kind of like exploring police brutality a little bit because I feel that there has been a general kind of discourse or consensus that um, a lot of the time and for various different reasons mm-hmm. like it's the black m- men who have tend to be the catalyst of protests whereas like black women have been murdered by the police um like transgender people have been murdered by the police and yes they do get coverage but it's not as much as um black men and i know that some people have found that discussion a bit divisive but it's kind of like, it's not divisive it's kind of for me it's highlighting a problem that we do sometimes have in the black community where kind of like your race kind of overshadows everything and we don't look at the differences yeah. that we have because for me what i found quite shocking is that in terms of kind of like the the violence that has been used to kill black women in particular by the police has been really shocking for me like they have been killed in their homes and I just kind of feel like the most the safest place that anyone should be in is at home and yes and it's just like how police are coming to your house for reasons that may not even be about you may not be even be a crime that you're actually involved in or they've been called because somebody's worried about your well-being and the end result is your death and it's like how is how has it kind of been going on for so long and so long yeah yeah it's just and I think yeah I think that's also like it's, it's really interesting yeah like how it's like how it's like that um that clip that everyone's been circling of the woman talking about you're lucky that we want justice or peace and not revenge and it's kind of like Mm-hmm. All I keep on thinking is that how has this been going on for so long and we kind of just allow it to go on and 
to go on and go on. And I know it's great that we want a change now, but it's like, how? What were we doing before? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's fair for every every generation since the beginning of, I guess, even the concept of race. Like, how is it always? We, I feel like for the most part, yeah. most of us as people, sometimes it feels like you can't do anything, so you just have to work with it and you allow these little things to kind of happen. And we complain about it amongst each other, like our friends and our family. And like, we talk about race all the time. No, there's an issue, but we just, I feel like there was almost a sense of hopelessness. Like, what can we do? Like, this is it. Especially when you try and talk to other people about it, other races, and they just, a lot of them just don't get it. And I don't know. It's like, and I think a lot of things with white people as well, like part of it is not understanding it. And I think that's because we, racism has been created in a way that is so difficult to pinpoint what it is and it's so easy to pretty ambiguous yeah. where we point something out as racist and the white person will say well maybe this is not racism but something else and I don't think that's always malicious and I don't think it's always that they know it's racist and they're trying to deflect I think it's because they haven't experienced life in the same way in the same perspective it's really easy for them yeah. to see something happening and immediately process it as something else um I used to I, I what I've had conversations with white people about this and I absolutely hate when they try and basically gaslight me to think something isn't racist when I know it was but I also think that for many of them, they just haven't had to live through the lens of race. So they're not going to look at the same experiences the same way we do. And I think seeing what's happening now, they've been forced to like look at things from the perspective of race in a way they, they could easily either, you know, purposely send a burn to or just be blissfully um, unaware of. Yeah. Um, I, think that's, I think that's why things have gone on for so long as they have is because people who are benefiting the most from the system don't even realize what they have they don't even realize what's going on um yeah and then black people generally just feel like what can we do if, if nobody's listening to us what can we do i i agree with you in terms of why it's gone on so long i think like you said if we go back to like white supremacy that i guess people were not aware of the privileges that they have because they're white and they've not ever been in that type of circumstance before where your race has been weaponized against you and they may understand certain privileges depending on their identities like if you're like gay or if you're a woman if you're disabled I think those additional identities that you have and that you identify with will make you understand discrimination but in terms of like your race and the color of your skin because of when we look at like the fundamentals of white supremacy how oppression colonization slavery and that kind of I feel like I feel some people are not able to connect that how discrimination comes about because discrimination is more like an action and stuff like that whereas like stereotyping people is more of like a cognitive thing that you do in your mind and I think some people are so yeah. fixated on what they their belief of what a racist person is or what their belief of what institutionalized racism is or or all these things like police brutality they don't kind of think of it as a phenomena rather than like an individual act definitely and I think they don't want to have to admit that they could be implicated as well it's easier to like paint the racism as some KKK man or like the racist process yesterday it's easy to point and then be like, oh, those are the crazy racist people. Like, those are the bad guys. We have nothing exactly. to do with that. Exactly. And for me, it's kind of like, if we kind of look back at history and we look back at, like, white supremacy and just the idea of um, one country having so much control over others and t- using their land, their resources in order to, like, improve their... No, not improve, but then increase their supremacy and increase themselves, like, economically, socially and stuff like that. I think people need to see it as in 
we have to think about in terms of like how what structures we have in this country they're all very like um eurocentric the way that we think is eurocentric we don't even allow ourselves to kind of think about how other cultures do stuff we all kind of assimilate it to eurocentrism i don't know that's a word and that comes from white supremacy that ability or that thought of dominating another race dominating other countries seeps into how we view the world and even if you're not if you're not an act if you're not like an active racist and saying racial slurs but if you only um i don't know if you only not not to say if you only if you only look at one point of view of one perspective and it's within like a eurocentric way of looking and you use that to navigate your life you are somewhat complicit in kind of increasing institutionalized racism because my thing is that i feel whenever we talk about these kind of big phenomena it's like we forget that people make up this big phenomenon like institutionalized racism is not this foreign thing that just happens without like a flipping captain like people are driving it and sometimes the way that they're driving it is a lot of unconscious bias it's that thing of like you know, with people that um, send in CVs and they only take the person who has an English sounded name than uh, like a foreign sounded name. Yeah. That's part of institutionalized racism because it's, it's within an institute and it put barriers into people progressing within that institution based off of racism, which is whether you're the, the nicest person in the world, if you kind of have an interview and you think someone who's has a more of an English accent is better than a candidate that has a foreign accent you're complicit in that and you could have for me it's like people's markers of being racist is I don't I don't know why it always comes back to dating like you could have a black boyfriend or an Asian boyfriend or a Cypriot boyfriend or I don't know any other person that's like non-white but you could also be complicit in institutionalized racism because of the way that you behave I think every person has been in one way or the other. And I don't, I'm not saying, and I think another thing is that people associate racism with being a bad person. And I don't want to say it means you're a good person, but I think people are multidimensional. Yeah. And when I say say someone has been racist or they've done something, I'm not necessarily saying you are an evil bad person. I'm saying you have done something or said something that is racist. I think they're two different things. And I think that is something that people also... I've had to confront maybe. And I think that's the whole, you know, I guess it's something we'll come on to properly later about the whole white guilt thing is confronting the fact that you've, (laughs) that you're part of something that you've grown up to know as being this evil boogeyman and realizing that evil boogeyman is within you is very, I can imagine that's a very painful thing to realize. And um, and I think that's something interesting in itself. Yeah. I feel like, I agree with you. I feel like people, have kind of taken a phenomena and it works on both sides as well which is quite which is obvious like people have taken a phenomena and then just kind of made it about themselves because even like for example you have and this has happened during the last couple of weeks where you have people who um who have who are black and they don't agree with Black Lives Matter. And that's absolutely, for me, I've got to put where it's absolutely fine because I believe that black people are not monolithic. We're all very different. And they believe that because they haven't experienced racism, that doesn't happen. And it's like, you can't individualize a phenomena because it's going to affect people differently. That's how it works. Like a collective, mm-hmm. something that's like, something like racism, the whole idea of racism and oppression and supremacy and white supremacy was to divide. It was to divide to allow one race to have more dominance than others. That's the whole point. And 
that that's why some people are not affected by it or they don't want to see it or they just believe that it's down to something mm-hmm. else which for me is just like obviously it's not good I would want you to open your eyes but I, I can't I, like I'm not going to argue with a racist I'm not going to argue with someone who believes that it doesn't exist and I feel like yeah. when, I, when we'll talk about say in terms of white guilt what I've struggled with white guilt is people who have just kind of individualized it so they've taken a phenomenon which is as like a big phenomenon which is racism and anti-blackness so we're like some people don't want to use that but anyway like racism and now they've located <laughs> it in themselves and I just feel like if you do that too much and locate it within yourself yes it'll be good because I mean your individual actions you can use that to be anti-racist fantastic however it's like everybody has to do that if you take that journey and you can't I just thought yeah a lot of people kind of beating themselves up over something that they didn't know about but I think just acknowledging your privilege mm-hmm. is the, is literally I think that's probably the best thing you could do because I feel like if you acknowledge something then you're more likely to solve it but I just feel like pe- people should engulf themselves in, in guilt and shame whatever they're bloody calling it now I don't know if I I, I think that it is quite diff- I mean for me, like learning about white supremacy was a really yeah. difficult process for me. And that was a black person. Like I was when I think when I first really started getting like understanding it was when I was in my late yeah. teens, maybe I was about 18, 19. Just remember that period of my life it was it was a really difficult period and it, it mm-hmm. did feel very personal. And it felt like I was really learning a lot of stuff that I experienced in the past and learning yeah. why these things happened and a lot of my interactions I was thinking about in a different way. Like it really yeah. shattered my world. And I think that for white people as well. I mean, I think it is a life in my shattered experience, and I do think it is it is quite personal. Obviously, yeah. it is part of something bigger, but I do think I do think it is quite a big thing to like for the world that you thought was one way to realize it is another, and realizing all the things you've done in the past that contributed to it, and just knowing like yeah, like seeing yourself from a completely different yes. perspective that you hadn't before, yeah. and just the fact that you've lived your life blissfully unaware, and then being faced with it in such a like a an aggressive way that you can't ignore I think it is I think it is must be I mean I, I'm not white so I don't know what they're feeling but I can imagine based on the experience I had learning about my you know my confrontation with white supremacy it was it was a pretty big deal if you're doing it properly if you're not just kind of doing a performative thing if you're really sitting down and thinking properly about what's going on I think it's a pretty intense thing um I don't think it's something I would necessarily dismiss straight away but that said yeah it shouldn't they shouldn't consume with it and forget about the bigger picture and realize it is bigger yeah. than them but i do think it's definitely i do i, I do think it's worth yeah. confronting the personal aspect of it as well it's i think it's a huge part of the journey of becoming an yeah anti-racist. no i no, I, I agree with you i feel like that's why I, I feel like i'm always i feel like i do this with more, most of my thoughts like i feel one way but then i feel bad for feeling that way and then i i, I kind of um, in between so I'm I feel like you where I feel like I'm happy that people are kind of looking in the mirror a bit and maybe seeing the monster that's within that they they kind of externalize like the racists are like this but not realizing that they're kind of conscious or unconscious bias their prejudice and the stereotypes they have of people contributes to racism I think it's good that people are recognizing that mm-hmm. within themselves and knowing that actually racism isn't just like saying racial slurs or beating up people because of the colour of their skin. It's more to do, it, it is that, but it's also to do with our attitudes, how we think about people, how we interact with people, how we treat people in very subtle ways. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think what I struggled with is that, 
and maybe it's coming from a position of like part of me feels like but I've been feeling like this like this internal back this that this kind of process that you're going through a lot of black people have always been feeling like this always been feeling quite like not trying to knowing that the world isn't this like full of opportunities that people think they are like we have yes we do have freedoms but there are barriers and there are restrictions in how we can express those freedoms based on just things that we can't control like our skin and like I think the skin is only just the top layer of things we can't control when you start bringing in being a woman and then let's say you're part of the LGBT community and then let's say you have a disability like it just it feels like the stakes are against you so I think for me, coming from that position, mm-hmm. it just feels like, and maybe it's a horrible thing, but part of me is just like, okay, so now you're feeling this and now you're upset. I have to empathize with you. Like, that's how I feel because I want to, because some of the people that have shared their guilt, they're people that I really, really care about and I, I really like, but then I found it quite difficult to manage all of my anger that I've been feeling for a few fair, fair few months and has been ongoing anger that mm-hmm. I've always had since, like like you said, like gone through my journey of like understanding racism, understanding like the political nature of like blackness and stuff like that. And then it's like, okay, so now you come to realisation it feels like the conversation's been diverted when actually the conversation should be what can we progress to do to, do to, to like fight racism and let's stop thinking about yeah. ourselves as an individual and how it individually affects us and actually fight against it as a like as a phenomenon that it is but then I also realized that it's been really difficult for me to kind of be intact with like what I think blackness is and what racism is and I can only just imagine how they feel especially when it's like in a weird way at least when we're going through our journey with a with like racism we can say but we've been the oppressed but I wonder how the oppressor is now feeling yeah. because it's like it's like works not it's not like they don't have any excuses but what can you lean on because it's like you can't go around being like, oh my God, we've been oppressing so many people and now I feel so bad for feeling bad because yeah. everyone's going to be like, what? Whereas like, at least, at least I feel like, not to say everyone feels that, but at least for me, I can hold on to like, do you know what? I, I, I've i been the victim of racism. It's oppressed me. So it, it's okay for me to say, to find this journey really difficult. But like, I could only just imagine how they think. And maybe, yeah, so I've changed my stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to like coddle their emotions and be the one to give them the comfort that, that maybe some are seeking. I don't know if they are, but I do think it's important. I, I don't think it's a bad thing for people to sit and kind of really sit with their yeah. feelings and feel that guilt and that they have. It's not. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I don't think they should necessarily rush to saying, what can we do? I do think it, they really should be doing a lot of introspection and really, really, really turning themselves inside out and analysing themselves. Yeah. Um, because you know, in a world, if then if they're just going straight to so what can we do, I do feel like that is a bit performative. Like, what have you really have you really done any inner work? Have you really tried to unlearn yeah. anything? Um, obviously, it should still be taking action, but I do think there's a lot more. Yeah, there is a big personal and individual thing they should be working on as well. I mean, how can you like sit and tell someone about your you know a racist family member about what is the right or wrong thing to say when you haven't done that work no. yourself to figure out what is the right and wrong oh, that's so true um, yeah I think yeah people do need to do work they do need to like in terms of that white shame white like and I think do you know what it is I think it might maybe because I hate it I hate when people get stuck on semantics I think it might be the the way that we kind of name these things so it's like 
we got white privilege, white shame, white rage, white guilt. And it just feels like the conversation <laughs> is again centered around whiteness and not even about the, the yeah. victims of all this oppression. I, I, I think that might be what, the more I think about it, I think it might be that instead of it, for me, it's like, instead of it just being like a natural, how I see it, is I feel like it's a natural progression and actualization of what the reality is, which I think everybody has to go through that journey. Yeah. Like you said, like we've had to go through that. And I think that we, we didn't call it, well, I guess some people call it black consciousness. Maybe that might be the word, but like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. I feel like, and, 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 and I think, do you know, I think for me, I think it might be the fact that we've named it something and we've named it again about whiteness. And it's just like, is the only way for us yeah. to move forward from racism by centering it around whiteness or are we centering it around the oppressed? Because it's like, for the fact that we've, we've had to, we have to label something because, oh, this is what's happening to white people. Once they get through this, then they will be less, less, less racist. And it's like, but why is it centered around them? But maybe it should be centered around them because. I think it is because racism, whiteness yeah. is a huge part of racism. Like the concept of whiteness yeah. in itself is a part of this. So, so I think you can't talk about racism without talking about whiteness or white something yeah. in some way. It's, it is obviously, I mean, we are a big part of, obviously, we're the people who are the recipients of racism, but the people who are doing it are very, very, very major yeah. part as well. And I, I don't think people are naming these things to make it about them. They're just explaining the different behaviours that come about from this whole system of white supremacy. And like you said, white fragility, like when you talk to a white person about racism, yeah. they get all upset and really white guilt. I don't think white guilt necessarily is in itself just a white person feeling guilty about being white. I think it's I think people use white guilt to describe the way some people use that guilt in conversations with black people or behaviors that they have that are um, based around guilt that aren't necessarily most yeah. productive behaviors. Um, like you said, when people like are trying to, um, what's the word? When they're trying to prove to you that they're a good person, like that kind of guilt, like they're trying to offload their guilt by getting reassurance that they are yeah. good people. I think that's what, Usually when people talk about guilt, I think that's what they usually mean, not necessarily the process of a white person going through uh, the inner work of learning yeah. white supremacy. But, um, but yeah. I no, no, know. I think I agree with that. I think I'm still like, I do grapple with these things, but I feel like I, I um, how I say is I'm doing it from a place of like my own perspective. And obviously you can't look at an argument from one side, unfortunately. You have to do it from any side. So like, <laughs> like you said, like if you look at it from a different perspective, you get a different lens. You view, you view it in a whole different way. So it's true. I think it is, yeah, whiteness is important when we're discussing racism because it does form a big part of it. And I just think even when we talk about racism, there's always kind of always grappling with the proximity of whiteness and what what is blackness in relation to whiteness and that thing of like if something's too white then it can't be too black and something's too do you know what I mean? And not I don't know about different races, but yeah. for me there's always we're always dancing around our proximity to whiteness. And then Yeah, that's how, that's how the system was created. Yeah. That's that, that is yeah. how it is. And that's why you can't not talk about it. Like like even I think we could talk about South Africa where they had a system where you could actually progress yeah. to become white. It was like a, you could actually like apply to become a white person. It's, it's such a weird construct that I know that there is this subconscious desire to be close yeah. to like, and it manifests in so many ways. Like we could talk Literally. about that all day. Like, it manifests in so many different aspects of our lives. Like even the whole like talking yes. white thing. Like when someone says you talk white and, and a lot of people immediately be like, oh, it's because... Um, <laughs> you think I sound white because I'm articulate and I'm like, 
That might not be why the person said you sound white, but you've yeah. immediately associated sounding white with being yeah. articulate. So you're perpetuating and practice yourself just by yeah, implying that you are closer to whiteness yeah. because, <laughs> because you speak well. It's just all these little things. Yeah. That, like... And it, even with what I do in terms of articulation, it's a specific type of whiteness because it isn't like... It isn't yeah. the um, people, white people from outside of London, like from Birmingham or Liverpool or even further north because they're yeah. like... Yeah. But that's a funny thing. Like, if I met a, a black person with a very Cockney accent, I would probably, and I heard him on the phone, I'll probably be like, this guy yeah. sounds white. But it's not because I think he's articulate or well-spoken. It's because he sounds like yeah. Mitchell. Like, yeah, like, no, I used to get that all the time. People are like, you sound so white. And I'm like, how? <laughs> and because <laughs> I did that thing, I was like, yeah, because I don't use, I, I, I sound more articulate than you. That's literally what I thought. And then it's right, you're associating, like, whiteness with being articulate, which is, yeah, and the person may not have been thinking that at all. People immediately assume it's, oh, it's because I speak so well. I'm better than you. Because it's so weird, man. Because it's really funny. I remember I was listening to a radio and they were talking about racism. And this guy, he made a good point. I think people have made it before about, like, when you think of words that are related to white, as opposed to words that are related to black. Like, white always has, like, a positive connotation and black always has a negative connotation. And, like he was saying that mm-hmm. in terms of like grammar and I don't know like language the use of language if you if you indicate that something's white it's good it's fantastic you're closer to white you're brilliant and if it's like black it's like it's always related to all these like negative words or negative connotations like, actually he kind of has a point because when he went through the words and people were sending in words there was there was barely any words that were related to black that were good yeah. that's very true <laughs> what did you make of the protests? We're going to call it, um, we're not going to call them anti-anti-fascists or anti-racism critiques. We're going to call them what they are. I actually don't care if anyone gets into this. The racist people who had people from um, the, is it the Britain's, not, is it Britain's first? Is that what they call themselves? Britain's yeah, Britain's EDL. First EDL. Right, we're so we're all of those people them. marched down to central London because all of the bad Black Lives Matter people, apparently, well, they did. Well, not all of them, but some of them, like, denigrated the, the statue of Churchill. So they went to go and become statue defenders for a day. And what did you make of what happened yesterday? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what is there to say? The, the, the videos speak for themselves. I think that... The whole statue thing, it's not about the statues. I think we talked about this before. It's, it's, the statues are a symbol of what of something else, and they were not travelling to London to protect statues. The statues were boarded up. Boarded up yes. They were protected. They were going there to, to send a message out that they are not here for this Black Lives Matter <laughs> progress, whatever it is. <laughs> that's that's what it was. It wasn't the statue, the, 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 you know, taking down the statues as a symbol of, I think it was some in some way it was symbolic of people wanting to move yeah. on from this and no yeah. longer allowing us to just be passive towards yeah. white supremacy and actually making an effort to, to to no longer celebrate it and no longer allow it to be something to celebrate or just overlook as a statue that we just walk past every day, not really thinking about. And that messes things up for the, the racist people. They, they don't want that. They want things yeah. to be as they are. They don't want people to move forward. They don't want people to... I don't know, they don't yeah. want progress. And that them coming to London at the start of riot was them saying, we don't want this change and we're not going to let it happen. This, that was their way of sending out a message. Like, 
we saw the videos where they were fighting police, like the police that they were just talking about last week, that they wanted yes. to protect them. <laughs> we should respect them. And we see them later, she's throwing glass bottles at them. And I'm like, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the hypocrisy is disgusting. <laughs> but um, I, I completely Absolutely. agree with you. I think it's so funny because I've watched, I've forgotten who the person who said it. And I feel like it's one of the greats in terms of like either a black feminist or a writer or an activist in some way. And I feel so bad for not knowing who this is, but I was watching a clip and she was mentioning like, when you look at people who are actively racist, like if you take away the identity from them, what are they? Like, what do they stand for? Because for me, I just felt Mm -hmm. that the fact that people came from outside of the UK to come into central London to defend a statue, like you said, which was already boarded up. So the the government has done its role in terms of protecting the statue because no one can denigrate it or no one can deface it because they can't get close to it. And you came all that way Mm -hmm. to come and defend that because that's your identity. And I feel like, does this fall into the lines of nationalism, the way that these guys are behaving? So it's just kind of... Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, yeah. I know there's a difference between like patriotism and, and nationalism. I'm like, these guys are definitely nationalists. And um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I just think that it had nothing to do with the statue. It had nothing to do with what the statue stood for and the, the civil liberties that Churchill, like in terms of defeating and um, we're going to war with Germany and stuff. It had nothing to do with that. It had more to do with who the who the people were that defaced the statue. And I feel like, like you said, I, I agree with you. I never even looked in that way, that in terms of destroying the statue or the other statue in Bristol, like you said, it's a way of people showing that we're not going to stand for the subtlenesses of racists where, racism where we can have a slave a slave trader in um, a displayed, like glorified, because that's what statues are. They glorify. It's like a momental moment to have a statue because your your work mm-hmm. and your presence and your 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 kind of what you stand for has been like um, immortalized in stone. So no one can tell me that having a statue is a way of us learning our history. No, no, it's not. You learn your history by teaching people. A statue doesn't do just that. It just that within itself. Like there's more to educating people than just having a statue. For me, if you have a statue of somebody's memory you're immortalizing them for everyone to see for generations to see so i get i i like the way that you put it that they just it feels like they destroyed that statue say actually all this subtleness in racism that we see around us all the time we're not standing for anymore we're not we're not doing that anymore and like i feel like the and it's really interesting because i saw like a thread online of different um marches that have led to churchill's um statue being desecrated and I don't recall after any of those matches, anybody came to protect the statue. So for me, it sounds like more pushback that people want change. And a lot of people that are like Mm -hmm. racist, whether they like it or not to be called that term, they get scared of change because the identity that you have, you hold on to so dearly, which makes you different, which gives you camaraderie with other people that are racist. You can no longer have that anymore. That power that you have from that identity, you can no longer Mm -hmm. have that if people don't want to accept it. And um, I just thought the whole thing yesterday was a mess. I'm still in two minds of whether Black Lives Matter should have cancelled it. Um, their counter protest but I'm happy that 
people that don't believe racism exists has now seen it for their own eyes that racism does exist. Not to say that everyone is a racist. That's not what people are saying. But they're saying that we have a problem with that in this country. And we saw that clearly yesterday. Yeah. And even if people want to say it's only a few people, da-di-da-di-da. Yes, it's the same way Black Lives Matter protest. There are some people that were... Um, defacing stuff and graffiti and, and fighting the police but for me personally even I watched like I actually took the time to try and be unbiased which is not like me at all when it comes to certain issues <laughs> I really struggle with that mm-hmm. I praise people that can be that's not like me when it comes to racism I am very biased um and I watched an interview of this um this guy like interviewing the protesters from yesterday and a lot of it, what they were saying was so tied up in with their, their identity, identity. They were so upset that people deface Churchill because they stand for Churchill and what he did because they believe that they believe so strongly in their identity and it's so linked with being born in this country. And um, they they feel like really, really victimized and really attacked by people defacing um the statue and they felt that well if you if, if Churchill didn't do what he did and we didn't go to war with Germany then we wouldn't have our liberties which is true that is true we wouldn't have our liberties but even though Churchill has done that we're still facing mm-hmm. discrimination so it's like you can't throw that as an argument in, in front of people's faces and then ignore the fact that people are still being discriminated more so because they're black and I find it quite interesting I saw like there was another black guy so there was the the guy the uncle that shall not be named. <laughs> I was so, I was so, I, I wasn't even angry. I just found it hilarious. Like, Who sent you to go wear your stupid Trump top, right? And go and shake hands with those people. Who sent you? He didn't even serve you to be there. I saw another black guy there and he's from Portugal. And the, and I think the, the line that got me the most was that he was like, how can you come to somebody else's country and not 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 respect their culture. If you don't like it, you should go. And of course, they all shook his hand. They clapped. They said, yeah, we're on the same path. And it just shocked me that this guy doesn't know that you, they would be telling you to go. Like, if you don't assimilate to this structure, exactly. discrimination happens, racism happens, people are dying at a higher rate, people are being arrested at a higher rate. And then when you try to fight for your rights to kind of like, to protect people's lives, they get upset about it. And you've stood here and said that they have every right to be upset about it. And it's kind of like how, I, for me, I just found that amusing because all of them, he thought that he'd made a good point without even realizing that they're talking about you. You're part of what they're talking about. Like you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't differentiate yourself from racism because you ally with the race with racist people because in the end if their goal is white supremacy and taking back control and being in control of their country you're not part of that because of your race <laughs> pardon right you're out yeah you're out like he's out he's out the door and the thing is even if he's not out and they keep him as their like puppet Exactly. Like, is that really a life you want to live where people don't actually value you as a person that value you because they forward your yeah. you help to forward their agenda? Exactly. Against that, people that's the thing. Like, like how you. I feel, like people who are comfortable with racism, who are not white, that's how I feel. Like you're you're 
your comfortability is at your own demise because you're always going to have to put yourself secondary in order to fit into a system that doesn't include you, doesn't involve you. And for me, that's that's not the existence that I choose to live. Like, you're able to have the same liberties, the same equality as anybody mm-hmm. else. I shouldn't have to change myself or what I believe in or how I behave in order to fit into somebody else's narrative. And I think, like, and I don't understand this. This Is it after mm-hmm. anti... What, a A A N I F A. How do you pronounce that word? Afita, the the far left group. Antifa. What I find quite interesting in terms of our conversation about racism is that we always seem to be um, blaming the far left or far right of something. There's it feels like we we always try to like on both sides we 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 try to we always try to distance ourselves from our own behaviour. Like what we're saying is the far right right and then they'll say is the far left trying to infiltrate black lives matter and within those two extreme spectrums we forget about the ordinary people Mm -hmm. that that do both of these things as well like the the fact that now antifa because i've really struggled with the respectability politics around all of these protests because it's like i feel like you can get good and bad people in all sectors of life but it shouldn't stop the message that they're trying to share so it's like yes we had the Black Lives Matter protest and it was peaceful. And there were moments of like attacking the police, vandalizing all this stuff, but it shouldn't stop the message of what they stood for. And it feels like we have to distance ourselves from the extreme, the extremities of the left or the extreme, or the extreme protesters in to be heard by the general masses. And that's really yeah. annoying me as well. And, and I don't know how to fix that because it feels like, oh, we have to film to show that, no, it wasn't black people that were burning this thing. Or it wasn't black people that pulled down the statue of the, um, of, is it, was his name Edward Colston? Or have I got the right name? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't black people did it. It was white people yeah. and Antifa that did it. it. It's like we have to kind of put the blame somewhere so people can say, oh, no, these are good people. These people want to fight for their rights, but they're not, they're not as extreme as the other people. And it's like, actually, but then for me, it's kind of like, but good people mm-hmm. can do bad things or things that are not morally correct because of the injustices that they face. And I just don't think that that should, like, silence the message. Even if people are... Even if people are put, and for me, I stand by this. I think the people in Bristol who pulled down that statue, they knew what they came to do. Who who carries ropes to a protest? I'm sorry. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, for me, it's just like, how are you? Clearly, either discussed in the morning or someone quickly went to go and get ropes. I don't, nobody carries ropes to a bloody protest. What do you do with ropes? So it's like the fact that people <laughs> think like this is something that was born out of black, like probably Black Lives Matter was definitely the catalyst. But I, this is people who, and, and like people said, there's been petitions to take this statue down. These people have wanted this petition, th- this statue to be taken down, right? You did not listen to them, okay? And now they said, we've waited too long. We now have the opportunity. We are pulling that shit down. So those people came prepared. The people in London, right, who protested, (laughs) we don't have ropes. There's nowhere to, even if you pull Winston Churchill's statue down, do you know how many police were there? It just would not have worked. So it's like, whatever these people were defending, nothing was going to happen to that bloody statue. It's humongous. (laughs) So I wasn't going to the the whole thing is ridiculous. They weren't there to protect the statue. They were there to protect white supremacy. And it was funny because one of them was talking about um, Atifa 
and saying that the police officer looked like a Tifa. She so happened to be a woman. So there's loads of things that we can go with this discussion, but it's just kind of like, these are the type of people that came out yesterday who, like you said, they're upholding white supremacy for white men. That's literally it. And then they got on their coaches and went back to like Coventry. And like, and, and yeah. really, I think what really annoyed me was the press coverage of it. Because the way they painted it was like, it, they kept on calling it counter-protests, scuffles, anti-anti-fascist, anti-racism footage. Yeah. Call them what they are. And the worst is that Sky News um, clip where they just yeah. completely created their own story out of it. And they posted, there was a clip of like black men in hoodies shouting at the police and then the white man bleeding and lying on the pavement. And it was really obvious how they had created this idea of it being like, these black yeah. people like went to attack these white protesters. Like it was so obvious. Like they have, and then we saw all the videos throughout the entire day of what was going on. But yes, Sky News carefully selected yeah. these clips to create their own narrative of what yeah. was going on. I was like, this is absolutely insane. Like we all saw what was happening throughout the day, and they exactly. have so they have carefully chosen exactly what they wanted to create a narrative of yeah. black, black matter being basically a, a gang attacking yeah white, i feel like the way this that group it was of white posed, people and people saying that this that it was going to be like the both groups as bad as each other black lives like black lives matter were the agitators they started it and made these poor men come out of their houses all the way from middlesbrough wherever they bloody came from like coventry whatever the midlands to come all the way down to london to defend the statue and then when they got there black lives matter came again and they fought them and i hate the fact that it's been called like an a county protest counter protest when it's like no you do, and it's just interesting that you're basically counter-protesting anti-racism. That means you're racist. Like, I just feel like, when did we lose... You know when people talk about political correctness? I never knew political correctness, like, covered the range of, like, actual, like, morality. This is a of political correctness to just not call people what they are doesn't make any sense to me like this is a country that called the met police institutionally racist right they literally marked the line and said a whole organization is institutionally racist with their chest where have we lost that vim where have we stopped calling people what they, like what they are because if you are how would you even explain that to a child we went to counter protest a protest about black lives matter and within that argument you call people an you call you call that a counter protest, and you don't say that literally they're racist. It's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous. It's I think ridiculous. the only thing I'm happy about is I feel like what happened yesterday, um, the protests of the racist, fascist, CDL, whatever the hell they want to call themselves, against Black Lives Matter and statue defenders. Like the only thing I'm happy about is now that's happened, and people have now visually again been shown what racism looks like in this country because it surely does exist now i think that's re that's changed that's kind of re-diverted the conversation yeah. back to what the problem was because when we were so focused on statues oh my god i was so pissed off like everyone was talking about statues and memorials and should we erase history and blah blah blah, blah. but actually the core of this is that the catalysts for people were the racial mm -hmm. discrimination and the racial disparities and that's what we need to to focus on and i think like all of that that's happened has just made us kind of go full circle yeah. to kind of think about what the core of the issue is. And the issue is 
we have racial disparatism, we have racism, That's we have true, institutionalized yeah. structural racism, whichever systemic, systematic racism, whichever way you want to look at it, is racism. And at the end of it, people die. Like, whether it's like through police brutality, whether it's through like um, health, whether it's through their social situation in terms of housing, like each other way people are being disproportionately affected by something that they really shouldn't be disaffected by considering we make up such a small part of the population and i think that one i one thing i found has been really great well, not, i don't want to say great it's not necessarily a good thing but we've seen the full spectrum yeah. of racism in such a short period now we've seen the covert racism we've seen like within whiteness we've seen i mean we've seen the murder we've seen we've seen the like typical like uh yob yeah. kind of edl type of racist like we've seen yeah. also, we've seen institutional we've seen the police like we've seen everything in like one big chunk and then on top of that we've seen loads of people sharing yeah. their own story like loads of female celebrities and like just non-celebrities sharing their own personal experiences with like really really personal kind of stuff like really sharing their emotions like it's been just a massive outpouring yeah. of people showing what racism yeah. is in all forms in a way that you can't avoid anymore like it's like you can't deny it when so many people have come out in one go to share their stories and their stories being yeah. backed up I think we're seeing in the news and it's like it's it's, it's been yeah. it's been incredible I think like painful it's been painful listening to other people's stories because it kind of triggers my own memories of my own stories and then I end up sharing lots of my stories yeah and then it kind of makes me upset thinking about these stories and it's like really weird but like I think it's been so it's been incredible just to see people really like not holding back. But I feel like often when we talk about racism, it's all most of the time we tend to hold back and like people who yeah. normally don't talk about racism will sort of come out and talk about it. And yeah. And just like just a range of stories and it's not being told in like a very academic way that yeah. kind of intellectualizes it. It's like people's real feelings. And I think, I think that's something that we haven't really had in a long time is people just, sharing their feelings rather than making everything sound yeah you know, no i intellectualize it turn it into something academic when you the way it reminds me of like andrea davis obviously she's just amazing and she said she's excited and everyone's like mate if she's excited and she has like she has she has been she's been on this fight in terms of the civil libertations of like black women of women around the world of mate, other oppressed nations like she's constantly fighting against oppression and white supremacy if she is excited then something is definitely going to happen like because all of her work and not just her like other like prison abolitionists and um people that are activists community workers people that work with like and like anti-racist campaigners all of those people like if they're excited about people just kind of like you said taking a big phenomena and kind of showing their individual experience but it's all a collective thing that they've they've shown and like you said not being afraid to share their stories because um it was is within their right and people not being afraid to listen and interact with those stories has been quite exciting as well because it does feel like actually we're not going to just keep on talking about something we're going to have some type of action with it and um I, you're right I think as well with celebrities I think like mm-hmm. one of the um artists from Little Mix came out as well to talk about how she experienced racism in football I forgot his name yeah. he he spoke about yeah. it like loads of people coming out um to speak about their experience yeah and I think as well like yeah, it's, for... not, it's not being intellectualized and kind of like it's not like an academic thing it's, it's something that we can all like get involved in because we're just talking about it from a human perspective and not as like this big academic 
perspective. But um, yeah, I think I, I am I am hopeful that something will change because man, I'm exhausted. Like you got you got all the kiddies coming out to say, I don't know if you saw that video of those kids yeah. going, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> like you got kids protesting. <laughs> Oh, and I had a little black girl and had a little black girl. That really warmed the heart. That made me, that was so cute. I was like, yes, you've got the little queen sitting in the car. Literally, you've got the queen sitting in the car, pulling her along as you should. The little girl in the background, the little girl in the back is holding the fort saying, Black Lives Matter. I know, it's so adorable. Like, it's like, yeah, everyone's talking about it. You've got Blue Peter talking about it, Sesame Street talking about it. Like, we're literally all engaging in that conversation about people's real reality that like we've never done before even though it's been existed and we've had loads of people have been doing that work and stuff but it's just so exciting that people are just bringing it into everyday conversation and, and and that's the thing like in terms of like microaggressions and things like that like those are all everyday experiences so if we're encouraging people to have that discussion in an everyday like every everyday context and that's how you kind of that's how you do that kind of groundwork to improve the situation but um, yeah, I am hopeful. I did find the protest really funny. I think the best part of the protest I saw was when the two people got into an argument about whether it's racist to say white lives matter or all lives matter, and then they started calling each other. They started, yeah, and they started calling each other racist. I saw that. This is just hilarious. Like I just. <laughs> And just the pure, for me, it's like the pure confusion on the other funny. guy's face. Like, how am I racist? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, these people don't even, oh. I, don't I do they, wonder if I a lot of these people genuinely the don't believe they're racist. A lot of people don't know what racism I don't, I don't think they do. I generally think people generally yeah. believe is if you say a racial slur or if you beat someone up because of their race. I, I just don't think people know what racism is. That is, it's like that is part of it, but it's far-reaching than just a racial slur and, 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 and physically assaulting someone. Yeah, I think people don't get it. So much further. Yeah. And this is, again, what I'm saying, it was yeah. great that we saw such a full, yeah, wide exactly. spectrum of racism in the last couple of weeks. Because I think it's opened up a lot of people's eyes and seen yeah. they've maybe seen themselves in these stories or in these videos, like they've been the Amy Cooper at one point, or like you know, they yeah. may have been the one who called the police on a bunch of people having fun for no reason, or they may have been the ones who were afraid to yeah. be around a black person that, for whatever reason. Like I, I don't know, like I think it's been interesting to for people to really see how far reach like you said far reaching racism yeah. is and how it goes beyond yeah, just going to only end word yeah, yeah i agree with that's, that's kind of like what a good thing that's happened out of this that people can see they have a more visual representation of what racism is rather than this kind of like trying to conceptualize it in like a nice pretty academic way it's like no this is what it looks like and i think if people know what something looks like they at least they can know what the opposite thing mm-hmm. to do yeah, that's another because I think this is so that's a good point because like I feel like we do often spend a lot of time and even not necessarily just two yeah. white people amongst each other talking about what we dislike and you know our suffering and our yeah. pain and but when it comes to talking about solutions, people seem to, people seem to stumble like nobody really seems to see eye to see eye to eye what they want. People don't really know what they want for themselves. People can't really visualize what yeah. uh, uh, what I don't know what to say post racial society looks yeah. like because we know. We never had it, so how would we know? Like, like, how do how, I, I? I I honestly don't even know myself. Think about, but I think that's something that yeah, definitely. Like you're saying, like Angela Davis being really excited for what's to come, 
And my first thought was, oh, she's excited for racism to be over or something. But maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's being excited to actually know that we are getting closer to knowing what the solution is. Because I think for me, how I see it is that like, (laughs) if we like, in terms of solutions, I think one of the things is just thinking what we don't want. So we already know what we dislike and we already know what we don't like about racism. And I think a good starting point is like, if we're going to build an existence that is not... (laughs) like there's no racism or there's no oppression it has to be based on what we don't like about racism or how it makes us feel like what opportunities we lose at we we lose from and I think that's kind of like a goodish starting point and then I also just kind of feel like when we look at how racism kind of permeates itself within Mm -hmm. our society like I feel like we see these through institutions and the only practical way that we can deal with racism is dealing with the institutions because that's where we see racism like in in its kind of like not, not in its beauty but that's where we kind of see racism all the time whenever we talk about the disparities that different people have who are who are not white a lot of it is like health disparities social disparities um how they're treated by the police how how many jobs they have so i think in terms of like how we tackle racism is how we tackle those institutions how can we make those institutions fairer so <clears throat> So people don't experience these inequalities. And obviously it can go from like the ground up in terms of who you employ, what policies you have. But I do think we need to start doing, I don't even know if we can do more checks, but in terms of when we take stuff like the police, I know a big thing that everyone's talk about is defund the police. Honestly, I feel like all like the prison ab- abolitionist, abol- whatever that bloody word is, must be so mm-hmm. excited to see this all coming into theory, into practice. It's important for us to try to like tackle racism in the, like with like the individual institutions so if we want to make people's experiences in contact with the police fairer thinking about certain things that like I don't know if there's if there's hope in terms of like reinvestigating certain things to see what went wrong and implementing policies that go that kind of fix those injustices that happen obviously if you want to go further you can be deep defunding the police and trying to deal with criminality in terms of dealing with the causes of criminality rather than the result of criminality which I think is the best thing to go forward with but then also kind of like speaking to the community and to police officers even though like I'm not like oh my god I love police officers but like it is a job that they've chosen to do and seeing what what they want to improve and I feel like there has to be some type of psychological testing if it works with some of the police officers that get into um get into the force because some of the way that they behave for me doesn't it just doesn't make any sense I, I like I just feel like how how could you some of the things that they do I'm like how could you do that and still seem like you're fit for the job that you're doing because there's no way that I could make, work in mental health and get away with the certain things that some police officers have done so I think there is room of like doing some type of psychological assessment even if it's yeah. like, like every like quarterly or something like because it's, it's a stressful job and you need to be psychologically strong to be able to do it. But like some of them are just racist and it's like they shouldn't be, they shouldn't have that authority because it gives them even more like superiority than nobody else. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. But the thing is, it, it permeates, like I said, it permeates everywhere. Like, so I do agree. I do think a big part of anti-blackness around the world, I think it, a lot yeah. of it is rooted in, uh, amongst other things, criminality and fear and, yeah, but that fear is something that's so deeply instilled 
that there needs to be work to remove that, not just in the police force or institutions, but in every individual. And that's something I think about a lot because I, I, I know there's a big focus on institutions and stuff, but yeah. a lot of racism is also upheld by individual actions and individual thoughts. And that's kind of where I'm a little, that's kind of where my focus tends to be more on because I feel like yeah. the things little people do on a daily basis, like for example, I, I rarely come into contact with police, <laughs> but I say I'm affected by racism in so many ways that have, I mean, maybe I'll link to in some ways police, but for the most part, I have nothing to do with police. And that's kind of where I'm trying to think of how we can fix that. And just small day-to-day interactions that do build up into more. Um, and that's why I, I find that even tricky because I feel like institution, you could, you could, you know, what to, you know, you could either like start it over again, you could defund it. Yeah. Like it's very easy to say what you can do to fix an institution. You just install regulations or yeah. you know like to rebuild it but with people people are so complex and it's a lot of trickier to deal with the mind and how to how to yeah deprogram the human mind from this fear they have of what do you do that and that's kind of where i get a bit like i don't know pessimistic but I just want to know how on earth can we solve that i mean it's yeah. happening now with a lot of people wanting to learn but well, yeah, so sad of me. Is this really going to last? Is this a, is this really a long term thing? Is it just a trend? Are people really Questions. doing the work, or is it just more performance? Like, I still have a lot of like, I'm still quite skeptical about. Yeah, and I, and is this and because it is really is something yeah. that doesn't affect them, it's so easy for them to just switch off and forget about it. Like, there's loads of people in the world that I know, in some way, I am implicit uh, or complicit with. Um, you know, even though I'm not directly seeing it, I know there are things that. You know, for example, yeah. buying from companies that employ slave labor or things like that. And I could easily, I could say, no, I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to stop buying from these companies. I'm going to stop ever, you know, but I don't. Okay, with my point people. about kind of defund police, it wasn't like black people less criminal, but more about like in terms of the institution of policing, I would say more so in America, but there is a degree here, like the violence of the state and how they treat black people, even if they're not killed, the way that they're treated in terms of like unfair sentences, like quite long sentences, and just like um, kind of using them as labor for like capitalist gains. I think their idea is that you cannot, like if you're, if if the things that lead you to criminality is more to social issues, you can't, you can't, you cannot like reduce um, criminality by punishing people that are to do with more with like stuff to do society. So I think their idea is that if you're trying to kind of reduce criminality or you're trying to re- yeah. kind of reduce that um, in terms of like one population and not just black people, like other people as well, is better to treat, not to treat, but then to like, um, to kind of intervene with like social factors because those are the things that are really going to like change someone's life and when they come out if they do come out of prison like if you're if you have like a conviction you're less likely to get this type of job you're less likely to get state funding you're less likely to get this and it's just like just continued violence from the state to black people so it's not to do with like making people less scared of black people because of criminality i feel like if you have that thought you're probably racist because you're just kind of saying that all black people are criminals which is weird but like um i get what you mean in terms (laughs) of um what do you call it like kind of you're not if you're not dealing with like um the different institutions how do you deal with racism? I think the only reason why I say that institutions are really important is because they do have a big effect on most people's lives. So even if you're not, if you don't, if you don't have an interaction with the police, you may have an interaction with a doctor. 
you may have an interaction with like, um, let's say you're moving house, you need social support. You may have an interaction with like someone who like works in housing and those like subtle microaggressions or how you're treated differently because of your race will can have detrimental effects to your life. But I think in terms of like dealing with like kind of the private moments and private thoughts that people have, I think it kind of goes back to making racism everybody's problem. Like even if people want to, like disengage of it or not seek any feel that there's no benefit in trying to be anti-racist because they're white if you make it an issue if you make it something that's regularly discussed at work if you make it something that you regularly discuss with a neighbor then they kind of it's kind of in their face and they're gonna have to start working like not working against it but like having to is is it's gonna have to start making them think because i don't think we can like i feel like we can't have complete control over other people's thoughts and what they do but we can make it their problem because there is not just racism there's so many other issues in terms of like when we look at like child labor laws when we look at the nhs being a free service there's so many things in society that we kind of didn't do or didn't believe in but when it became everyone's problem or everyone had it was like thrust in everyone's face they kind of had to just go just i've changed they have to just go with um what do you call it, go with the times. And even with people that have like internalized certain like um, negative thoughts about people in terms of like by law, if they're found to have done these things and they get into trouble. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like I get what you mean. I don't think we can be so optimistic that we're going to completely get rid of racism. I don't think that's possible because that's kind of like an internal work that people have to do. But I think what we can get close to is reducing those inequalities and maybe not reprimanding, but kind of not allowing people to have that space to be like racism being an acceptable thing. It's like fast forward the time when racism is not an issue and we don't have to do all these things. And it's like, that is a very optimistic, like at first I was like, yeah, that's so true. But actually that's quite an optimistic way of looking at life. There's not going to be like complete, well, I wish there was complete equality, but like, I don't know. Yeah, because even if, even if racial equality is achieved in some way, there's always yeah, there'll be some there'll be some type of some other form of inequality about how big those inequalities are and how we deal with them because i think like because for me i'm always just like yes there is racism you have people who have like very bigoted yeah. opinions but it's how you manage those things if you have a boss that is racist and gets to keep their job or gets to like say racist things about you that's not good but if you if you have a way of kind of challenging that and maybe that person not being able to do that comfortably out in the open. Obviously, I don't know what they're going to say behind closed doors, but, like, um, that would be good. But I think the ideal, like, I guess the ideal thing would be that people didn't have those thoughts. and But then that would require a lot of people to do a lot of inner work. And I think it mm-hmm. would require people to be compassionate and empathetic. And I think a lot of people aren't. Like, I think... The only way you can fight these battles, a lot of the time people have to have empathy and they have to have compassion within themselves to be able to understand somebody else's perspective. And I think another thing as well that we haven't mentioned is education in schools. Because like in Germany, for example, um, I mean, I know that apparently there is a growing like Nazi movement there, but for the most part, there is a huge amount of shame associated with their recent history. And like pretty much any German you talk to when they speak about Germany as a whole, like there is a lot of shame. And England just doesn't have that. Yeah. And maybe that's why, again, they just, again, because so many people don't know the history or the present of what's going on 
it's difficult for them to even begin to empathize because they don't know what's happening. They don't know that they, there's no historical context. Like, for example, and you know, talking to someone about blackface, for example, and they're like, "Oh, why is blackface offensive? I don't, I don't get it." Yeah. And then you talk to them, you realize it's because they have no idea of the historical context behind it. They, they don't know yeah. anything about it. They just see it as <laughs> the same as the movie White Chicks because they just have no clue of it. I had taken a break by that point because I was like, I can't do it. You can't do it. I actually can't do it. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But you're right. <laughs> but a lot, a lot some somewhat somewhat well many people just have no idea of what has yeah. happened in the past they haven't had they haven't had to so I do know, learn because it hasn't affected them is a big one and i think uh, as well like, i was listening to someone yeah. talk about that that we need to teach education where we're not kind of like victimizing black people so like i think in terms of like how we teach history in schools is kind of like it just feels like the way people think about it is as if like slaves were just kind of chilling on the plantation, not doing anything, not revolting, not even being remotely concerned about their situation. And then like white people woke up one morning and said, oh, slavery's bad. Let's end it. And it's like, well, that's not what happened. <laughs> and it's like you keep on. All right. It's like for me, I feel like this country likes to dance around their involvement like Britain's involvement in the empire and colonization and slavery and they kind of want to pick and choose which part they like and which part they don't like and even when I talk to people they're like yeah but we did learn about slavery but it's like yeah but you learned it in America we didn't hear about like I never even knew about the history of Liverpool in terms of the slave trade until I was like in my 20s because I learned that myself like you don't hear about Britain's involvement and I agree with you I feel like there needs to be some collective acknowledgement of their part to play in terms of like white supremacy and how it links with racism. Because if you come, like we said, if you come from perspective of always being the oppressor and always being dominant and looking down at mm -hmm. people, we can't expect that those mindsets change like overnight. It will take generations for that mindset to change. And like you said, like educating people to say like, this is our history. This is not to say that this is what we are now. It's not, but you can't, we can't ignore the fact of like the like the Windrush generation and the people that were invited from the Commonwealth countries to come to this country, how badly they were treated because people thought they were superior, superior to them. And where did they get those thoughts? Because even I heard like one guy, a presenter who I think is quite intelligent, saying that he thinks people are racist because they fear people that they don't know. And I just thought, what does that like how is that what you think racism is like there's no like no thought into like people's cognition where they get um, stereotypes from where they get these thoughts from like all of the thoughts that we have come from somewhere and I agree I think like education like if you educate people in the fullness of what our history is then they can see on both sides like yes we had a rich history but there are also atroc atrocities that the country committed in order to have that history and like mm -hmm. this is this is the reality of what we are and maybe that might for the younger generation mm -hmm. change their perspective and how they behave and hopefully they can educate their parents. <laughs> we can hope. Do you think that since that the idea of race and whiteness was created not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, do you think there'll ever be a point in the distant future where those constructs will be completely gone and there'll no longer be a concept of race? Or do you think once since it's been created I now, it's, that's it for, I think for eternity or for the rest of humanity? I don't know. I actually don't know. Like, Because I could imagine the people that fought for like civil libertations like in the 1960s or 70s probably thought that we would have been further than we are now. I would hope that. Because I think that like 
at some point, these social constructs that we've come up with, maybe in the future it will be gone. Then how would we how would we categorize? We just say they're all humans. I don't know, but we did it before. I feel like all of us want different goals. But I think like the ultimate goal is everybody wants to be treated fairly in the system that we have now. Actually, no, that's a lie. My ultimate goal is destroy the whole system. Let's start again. Yes, and we should not even really talk about capitalism and racism because we haven't even touched (laughs) on that yet. Yeah, because I feel like some people. It, 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 do you know what is? Really, do you know what's really frustrating me? Not to say that I don't think people are intelligent, but there's a lot of presenters that I've heard on the radio and on TV, and I just thought I thought that you guys kind of knew most things because whenever you try to talk about like the inherentness of like racism and where it comes from, like a lot of people don't understand the link with capitalism. And I'm just like the link is there. Well, they don't want to. The they don't want to address it because they love capitalism. Is to segregate. Is to divide. Like, it, that's the whole point. If you don't divide, then you won't benefit from it. And it's like, it's re- like I guess, I, I, get, I guess, like, um, mm-hmm. it's debatable. Well, not debatable, but then people can say, like, does capitalism cause racism or is capitalism the cause of racism? But I think, like, racism is always something that we've had because in terms of, like, wanting to have dominance over other races. But then capitalism very much fueled that agenda because it made it more economically not friendly, but economically, like an economic advo- um, initiative to kind of continue racism and to divide people based on like their, their colour, their class and all that stuff. And like, if you continue yeah. that divide in terms of people economically, then why would you want to defend, why would you want equality of all races? Because then you won't be able to have as much money as you can. Exactly. And it's just so, it's so tidy. Even if a black person, you do manage yeah. to make more money, there's still a very tight connection to being black and working class or in particular, like, I, I just, a lot of people okay, think, oh, you know, look at Beyonce, look at Oprah. <laughs> and yeah. they just, like, they look at, like, the 0.00% of black people who have made it and think, oh, this, you know, this, the key to success is for, for all black people to always get there, but the system is never made for, yeah. for any for the majority of anyone to get Honestly, there. Never mind yeah, black people. Like, every time <laughs> I talk about like so, capitalism uh, it's just, with my friends who believe in capitalism, I just feel like this system wasn't created for anybody apart from white men. Like this, a lot of the systems that we have were created by white men for white men, and then we're surprised that we have this social hierarchy between other people. And then that when we get our proximity to mm-hmm. whiteness, then we seem to like be able to have access to all of these things but the further we are the less access we have and it's like you have can you some people do feel like is it even possible to like and this is like how I feel like is it possible to fix racism or to reduce racism under a capitalist structure do I think so no I, I don't think it's possible because there's no if there's capitalism, if there wasn't capitalism, then we wouldn't have that economical, economical, um, in, like ugh, initiative. Yeah, well, we wouldn't have the economical inequality. We wouldn't have that economical initiative, inequality. and then we wouldn't have like that separation that capitalism has in terms of separating people. Like, okay, we're going to treat this group of people better than this group and pay them more money. It causes a division between each group, so you can't have any unity. So if you if you have like you said if you have a system mm-hmm. that is divisive and makes people instead of looking at um, instead of looking at the government for the inequalities that we have they look at their fellow person who's experiencing the same oppression then it's like you're never going to get anywhere because it's always going to be like okay so if we so for example it's like okay if we start 
under capitalist structure, if we start saying, okay, we have quotas, we'll make sure that black people are employed, we'll make sure this happens, da, 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 da. there's another group of people that are going to say, why are you focusing on them and not focusing on us? But like, if we had a fairer economical system, they wouldn't be focusing on anyone because everyone would be yeah. getting like their fair share. Exactly. If everyone has their fair share, exactly. then they can show the, the hell up about, oh, black people are getting this, black people are getting that, because everyone is getting the same. And that's another thing I think. I think obviously there are specific things black people need, yes. but I think if, if there's a, like a nice level point for everyone, then the, a lot of these tensions that are caused by one group being focused more than the other are kind of eradicated. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the people who didn't focus about immigration, but a lot of people focused on we don't have jobs, we don't have access to this, we don't have access to that. And the real question is why don't you have access? Because we have inequalities in society, which is driven by capitalism because they prey on that inequality in society. And it's like, if we actually focus the conversation of what it is, is to do the economic structure rather than somebody seeing your job, it's like then we would have answers because it's just it's just for me it's just like, it's just it's just divisive. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like capitalism as well has been used as a structure to like um or like continue this cycle. So even if we like kind of like within racism you have colorism, you have like beauty like you have like beauty um like beauty companies who sell the proximity to whiteness to people through images, through products, products. So they continue that cycle, which is divisive because then you yeah. have like, oh, some yeah. people have a proximity to whiteness and they get the privileges of being close to white while others don't. And then it causes us to have division in like the black community or even in the Asian community. And it's like capitalism for me is like a fundamental part of like a lot of the division that we have in society yeah. because it is a divisive system the yeah, many at the bottom are going to be angry at the ones on top of them and they're going to be they're, and they're not going to want somebody else to take their place so there's like we're just going to spend our whole time fighting when actually it's a few at the top that's benefiting from everything <laughs> even now even now when we think about what's happened yesterday who's benefited from this the current government because now they can say everyone is as bad as each other like, now they can say, oh, look, Black Lives Matter did something bad. Oh, and, and the far right did something bad. When actually, it's like, in the heart of it, we're trying to talk about racial disparities. And that's what we should be focused on the conversation. It's not someone's done as bad as the other. It's about what was the catalyst of this issue, which is the tragic murder of a black man because of police brutality, which is continued because of racism. Anyway. If it was me, we would burn everything. I think one of my friends was like, it's such a good film. Exactly. The country. I'd be like, burn everything! <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I feel like if we don't, then like things are just going to... Yeah. I just feel like it's going to get worse if we don't... If you don't go strongly one way, it's going to go strongly the other way. Oh, yeah, I sound, I sound like an extremist now. tell me my views are extreme. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want equality. And for me, I always thought that whenever... Even historically, whenever there's been a push to equality there's been the opposite like i don't know the people that want to keep the status quo mixed with the far right people always push back like 10 times harder because now people are saying like when i was talking about like um I think we spoke about, yeah. we talking about defending, defunding the police. When I spoke to my friend about it, oh my God, that's such a radical left wing. You're such a left wing communist. And then when we actually had a conversation, he was just like, oh yeah, but we're doing that anyway. Like we just have to do it at a grander scale. I was like, yeah, but that's, what <laughs> that's not radical. Like, do you know how like people really feel like, and possibly that my friend was like, you could not be the leader of this country because you would literally just like paint the whole town red. And I'm like, I don't think I would. Maybe like a nice orange, but like, <laughs> I think I'd be quite fair. <laughs> 
I was reading about this concept called ontology. Like I heard it before, but I never really looked into what it exactly meant. And it, part of it, it's like this idea of a ghost that's like there and isn't there, and they use it to describe yes. people yes. kind of not being able to imagine yeah. a future beyond what we have. Like they kind of see that what we have now is it. Like there's no there's no going further from here. So they they can't picture a society without police because this yeah. is what we know. It feels like it's, we are the crazy. future and we are. No, no, I get what you Even like I remember it. I watched the, like a lecture um, by Andrew Davis. She was saying, and that, I think like, yeah some of it is kind of like you said like imagination like imagining what could be not what is because she was talking to her like she just said that when she was speaking to her mom about like how her mom explained race and the segregation it's like this is what it is but it shouldn't be like that and it's like that's just for me that's just so simple there's so many things in this world that it is what it is now but it shouldn't be like that and part of us as like humans of the society is imagining a world where mm-hmm. things aren't like that and imagining what that world would look like. And not to say that we're wrong or we're right, but just having that, just giving ourselves that kind of space to imagine what life could look like. Because I feel like there's been so many social changes beyond us. So even within our lifetime, that at first when it changed, we couldn't imagine it being that way. But when it was, we all adjusted to it. This it's happened time and time again. Like there's so many social changes that we've had. Like I was always thinking like, for me, I think the people that can't imagine a world without, like with we're not without the police or like with less police or defunding the police are probably the same people that when they spoke about having a national health service free point of access to everyone when they spoke about the national insurance policy or whatever like that like I could imagine those people couldn't imagine that world and imagine those worlds Mm Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, even look at America. Like, they really can where people can have free healthcare, and would rather be in a system where people are disproportionately affected by not having free healthcare. And I just see, like, imagine if we, if we, if we didn't take that step. Imagine if they didn't take that step. What would have the UK be like today? And the stuff that we have access to. And I think I don't know. I feel like, and I think it is a bit of fear because maybe mm-hmm. they don't. They don't. Maybe I think because like a lot of people don't like to sit in the unknown and not knowing and feeling comfortable with not knowing a lot of people want to be right or tell people that they're wrong Mm -hmm. and I think it takes it takes a lot of courage to be like okay we're going to take a step in in another direction and put faith in like we don't know what's going to happen but we hope it's okay like because because if we don't I feel like if we don't try and imagine what life could look like or even go forward and try to make it happen then we're just going to be stuck in this like going back and forth (laughs) yeah stagnant Yep. And we're not happy. Like, people are yeah. not satisfied with how we things are, and there's no reason we can't exactly. try and do things differently. It's not like we're living in a utopia right now. I mean, it's better than it, it's better than it was uh, maybe a thousand yeah. years or even a hundred years ago, but why can't we make it even more better? Like, there's still room yeah, even for more progress. A, a lot of, of people of can't like, even um, you know comprehend that for some reason. Right people yesterday, and some women put like a caption like oh what would we do what would we do if, if the mm. police wasn't here because talking about defunding the police and I was like but in 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 like an ideal situation we wouldn't have people with far-right thoughts going to protest do you know what I mean like it's not about oh I feel like when when I think about imagining another existence it's not just imagining one existence and just taking something out it's actually like if we were to change this one thing the effect it would have on everything I don't know if I'm making sense. So it's like if we, if we were to like have more of like a community approach to yeah, yeah. something and it means that we don't have 
as much police presence, then maybe, not to say it would happen, but maybe we wouldn't have groups like this having to come out because initially the reason why they did have to come out was because of Black Lives Matter. Do you know what I mean? And it's just kind of like, you know, like the butterfly effect, like if you if you affect one thing, it has... Yeah, and I think, I think for me, like what I think, maybe people struggle yeah. with that. They're being quite yeah. concrete with how they're thinking. And I think it's more than being concrete on one idea I think it's the idea if we change one little thing or one big thing the 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 actual domino effect it will have on everything else and I think that's that's I don't know if people need to get to that place where it's like it's about it's like like if we continue having these discussions about racism think of what could happen in the next 10 years if we change the national curriculum think of what could happen in the next 10 years if we like had where some people don't like quotas if we had more representations of certain people in in parliament think of what could happen and that's just one thing like one thing and the domino effect will have an even an astronomical effect yeah exactly that might be where people get stuck because they're being massive like oh but this how could this one thing i think no it's not even about that one thing it's the effect of that one thing that we're trying to go towards but um yeah this is why we need to get exactly. Yeah. If I became the prime minister, awesome. oh my god, these rich people—they <laughs> better be scared. <laughs> Even though I don't think I can get into politics, I'm perfectly honest. So, babe, imagine if I became a politician. You drain the swamp of everyone in there. Me. Oh fucking hell, bro! <laughs> I'll be finished. She thinks local MP, Woolwich MP, says kill all men. <laughs> She doesn't like you. I'll be like, no, um, actually, no, I actually, yeah, I don't like any of you. Oh, <laughs> I'll be like, I said, it'll be like, fuck capitalism. She doesn't. She's anti-capitalism. Oh. She has to be a communist state. And I'd be like, uh, uh, well, yeah, I would literally last two seconds. <laughs> I would literally last two seconds if I was a politician. That's what I'm saying. Like with this oh, council project, like for me, I am prepared. I'm gonna come back and be like, fuck all of you and go on private. Then you can't bully me. <laughs> so we round up the show because it's been a really intense um conversation. And I think a conversation that we need to have, and I think it's part of like the healing process and all of that malarkey. Even though I think I think, I don't think, like, for me, what what I said, even just to go back to this imagination yeah. thing we're talking about, I think America's going to change. If anything is going to change, I think America's going to change by force, I think. Uh, even with the death of Richard Brooks, like, they burnt Wendy's, they shut down, like, one, like, a highway or something. So it's just kind of like, they're not, they're like, they're not, they're not letting up. And I think, do you know what, fuck it, like, our forefathers and foremothers, well, their forefathers and foremothers protested for days before things change. And, like, I think that's a tactic that they're using. And I just think, do you know what? Good on you. Like, if you can't... Yeah, me too. I love it as well. I, for me, it's kind of like a lot of people don't put enough, like, emphasis on the power of people. And I think, for me, it's kind of showing that, actually, we can be that change and we can do the change if we work collectively. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just reinforced the people power. Like, that wasn't that wasn't the president that did that it wasn't the mayors that did that it wasn't the whatever the senates or whatever that did that it was the people because they said no like they said enough is enough and they're not stopping so like yeah i agree with you that could and that might be the domino effect like and it's not even just that like around the world everybody is coming together in solidarity like enough is enough and it's yeah it's fantastic i think it's really really good so yeah um (laughs) thank you for listening to peas on the pod um you can follow me grace at at gracie 
um, with two eyes underscore says. Follow the Twitter page, which I never post anything on, or the Instagram page, but it's at peds on the pod underscore. And <laughs> um, thank you for listening, guys.